Beloved Church, we today have a triumphant and festive service. This is the only day in the year when the nominal Christians in Christianity and Judaism observe these days together. This, this festive day has become accessible to each of our services and to each day in our life thanks to the service of our Apostle Brother Atkadi. It was by him that we were taught two very important things which is necessary for us to know and to remember. Firstly, we must know that Christ had died, that our old man was crucified with him, and we died to sin so that we no longer live in it. And the second thing that is necessary for us to know is that Christ had risen from the death, from the dead, and no longer death had power over him. When he died, he died to sin, and the fact that he lives, he lives for God. Just like we, considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, in Christ Jesus, we call the inexistent power of life as already existent. Therefore, on the basis of this, allow me from the face of our pastor, Apostle Brother Arkadi, to greet you with the words, when the, with the celebration of the resurrection of Christ, and say, Christ has risen, Christ has risen, Christ has risen. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for the great privilege to be in this place that your hand has appointed for the worshiping of your holy name. And now allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted up to heights that are not reachable for us and destroy all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service, as previously, all the works of, dever, of the devil be cursed, illnesses, poverty, untimely death, demonic possession, all matter of fear, depression, destruction, ignorance, error, all of this may depart from the tents of your holy people. And now stand, O Lord, upon the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might, and may your saints be clothed into your salvation and rejoice before your face. Give us more of your Spirit. Saturate us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to find your great face. We thank you that the service is presented by Apostle Arkadi into your godly hands, and we pray, continue to lead it with a mighty and powerful arm, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, then you will find rest for your souls. Returning to the old path of good. And our pastor notes that the word old is not wilting and useless. It is something eternal. Old means eternal. It's something that... Uh, where God lives, He was, is, and is always going to be. And we need to walk these old paths, the very same paths that Abraham walked, that Jesus Christ has walked, the apostles 2,000 years ago, the apostles today walk, and we walk this old path as well. 
As a basis for our study of the old path of good, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit was successfully able to short, in short and exact definitions explain the consistency of the order that exists within the, the teaching of Jesus Christ. Therefore, in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, uh, we will be reading it, this place of scripture in a more elaborated format uh, to understand their depths and the beauty. Therefore, sprinkling yourself with the elementary teaching of Christ and clothing yourself with the armor of light, which consists in the rule of this teaching, we will then build ourselves into a house of God, because it is not possible to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of doctrine of baptisms, laying on of the hands, resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. <clears throat> in a specific format, as much as God has allowed in the measure of our faith, we already studied the doctrine of the baptisms in three functions, baptism of water, Holy Spirit, and fire. The doctrine of laying on of the hands in three functions, the covenant of blood, salt, and rest. And the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead in the functions of three births, birth from water, birth from the spirit, and to the throne. <clears throat> Therefore, we will immediately turn to the study of the doctrine of the eternal judgment, which is in scripture a triumphant accord in the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ, and it contains three mutually linked levels of the will of God. Romans 12, 1-2 Here we will see this revelation. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed with this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so the good will, the acceptable will, and the perfect will and now we need to understand the functions of these three wills and what they're needed for. The will of God, the desire of God when it comes to us. The will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so the functions of the three wills of God combined are identified in Scripture as a work of righteousness in the works of justice and a work of sanctification in acts of holiness, clothing a person into the armor of light, demonstrated in the eternal judgment. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. We see here uh, a victorious form of being the righteous being righteous still. And when this is uh, this is given is given in the form of a command God is expressing his desire his will it's in the works of righteousness and works of justice and works of sanctification in the acts of holiness for what purpose so that we may be clothed into the armor of light for what purpose so that we can then demonstrate God's eternal judgment the armor of light is <clears throat> feared by carnal and uh, religious people because as soon as the light turns on they immediately scatter to their corners because they have demonic fear demonic fear 
is afraid of holiness, is afraid of purity. <clears throat> and we see in what way our pastor shows why the doctrine of the eternal judgment contains the three forms of God's will, good, acceptable, and perfect, because God's will is in the works of righteousness, in works of justice, which then puts us or clothes us into the armor of light, and being in the armor of light, we can then demonstrate the eternal judgment of God. <clears throat> we know that God is, was, is, and will be the judge. God's judgment is in the eternal and unchanging character of God, which identifies as unchanging word. God can be judged by his unchanging words. In a specific format, we together, in the doctrine of the eternal judgment, which contains three levels of God's will, already studied the first level, the power contained in the good will. Therefore, we will immediately begin studying the next, le next level, which is the power of the acceptable will. The wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, consisting of the twelve precious foundations, the teaching of the eternal judgment demonstrated in the acceptable will of God, is made of the precious jacinth stone. Revelations 21, 14 through 20. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, eleventh foundation, jacinth. <clears throat> we need to not forget that the precious stones making up the foundations of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem imply the qualities of a good heart in which God dwells and that dwells in God. Very beautifully stated, all of these precious stones that make up the foundations of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, they imply our heart. And we know that when the Lord took the precious stones, for example, to put them upon the breastplate of judgment, each stone needed to be uh, in, in certain ways maybe formed or reformed to be able to fit the settings or adjusted in some way, resized. He does not allow us to uh, correct or somehow uh, adjust the settings themselves, which is the Word of God, but adjust the precious stones, our prayers, uh, so that we can uh, form our prayers accurately and within accordance, within the sizes and requirements of the settings, according to the Word of God, so that it would be exact, it would be in accordance with that very same uh, setting. From which we can conclude that when God will be building a relationship with man by the power contained in his acceptable will, then he will be speaking to man by the voice coming from the sacred mystery of the jacinth, which in this foundation represents the name written upon it, the name of the Apostle Simon the Canaanite. Matthew 10.2.4 Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, eleventh Simon the Canaanite. The name Simon, in the foundation of the acceptable will, means to hear. At the same time, his surname, Canaanite, means zealot or jealous. Again, Simon, to hear, and Canaanite, ze uh, being zealous or zealot. Combined, 
the name Simon the Canaanite, identifying the eleventh foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, means giving the ability to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart and be clothed into the garment of zeal to please God. <clears throat> Only working in such tandem can these two magnificent characteristics elevate us to the level of the acceptable will and make us a partaker of its abilities. <clears throat> An interesting tandem. Simon the Canaanite. And so to hear and zeal, these two things that are required in the acceptable will, and this is in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where we make a covenant of salt with God, and we begin to perform the acceptable will of God as those born from the Spirit. But first, it's worth making one remark. We will remember that zeal for God is called to work in tandem with listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Considering this, the ability to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart is to be prioritized or given primary focus over the zeal that you have. <clears throat> and so again, to listen and then to have zeal, listening to the Word of God needs to be the priority, needs to be the, the primary focus, and zeal needs to be secondary. When zeal becomes a, a priority, we become dry and controlling and religious. We need to uh, we need to have the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, listen to the voice, and according to what is heard, then we can uh, act within the boundaries of our zeal. <clears throat> and we need to always remember this so that we not uh, suffer or make others suffer around us. Otherwise, our zeal for God will transform into zeal against all that is truly holy and dedicated and against God himself. Let's look at Israel who confused these two, listening and zeal. Romans 10, 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They, he says, I tell the Jews, you have zeal, but you don't have the ability to have knowledge. Why? Because they don't want to listen. What kind of heresy, they say, are you telling us? We already understand one way and we don't want to hear these things. We will stone you. And so they have zeal and they will do anything for God physically, but they will are not able to listen or hear. For the Gentiles, it seems to be simpler. They listen and then they activate their zeal. In their case, the Jews were activating their zeal, but not have they did not have the ability to listen. Further, they, he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Therefore, the verb knowledge, which Apostle Paul writes about, that they have God's zeal, but they don't have the, uh, they don't have this knowledge. Therefore, the verb knowledge, which is linked with the ability of our heart to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, is called to work in tandem with our renewed or enlightened mind by utilizing the aspect of our will. According to 
knowledge means, <clears throat> uh, there's 12 definitions, but we'll look at seven of them today. And so according to knowledge, and this knowledge is what Israel did not have in that moment, which is why they crucified Christ with the hands of the Romans. It is our sins that crucified him. But also, people who crucify the truth today crucify Christ, who don't have knowledge but activate their religious zeal for God. A very important component, knowledge, a person who is in the goodwill, who is now being elevated or trying to go up to the next level of the acceptable will. According to knowledge means test the wellspring of information. Be open to the truth. Knowledge is seek knowledge about God and in God. Meditate about the things of heaven or the things on high. Love God with understanding. Be united in thoughts with the saints. Make reasonable and voluntary decisions to benefit the will of God. Make conclusions that are based on given signs. Plan your efforts with the level of your dedication. To lead or manage the emotional aspect of the soul. This is what it means according to knowledge. Sing and pray to God in accordance with the implemented by Him statutes. <clears throat> and also change or renew yourself with the spirit of your mind. All of these things means according to knowledge. The result of the faith of the heart is a demonstration of zeal coming from reasoning, by which we can judge about our love to God as well as the measure of our relationship with God. And so how do we judge about our love for God and our relationship with God <clears throat> by the zeal that comes from reasoning or from knowledge? We don't judge about love When, in the case of Peter, when he said, I'm ready to die for you, he told Jesus. And Jesus said, as, as soon as the, <clears throat> the cock crows three times, you will betray me. And he said, it, not me. And so Simon Peter, he, he was telling him, you will activate your ability to hear and listen. You have them, but it'll, they'll become active once I'm gone. And he did betray him, as we know, but he had the zeal. The zeal did not come from a heart of knowledge or a heart of reason. And so we need this knowledge, and then we will demonstrate our zeal. So it's not just be controlling uh, harsh and controlling uh, persons which typically are that prioritize their zeal and not knowledge and so let's look at seven components first component of the abilities contained in the name of Simon the Canaanite written on the 11th foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem is called to give us the ability to test the wellsprings of information and so to be able to hear the word of God and to demonstrate the abilities of Simon the Canaanite I need to determine who is speaking with me why is there venom coming from the mouth of this person I'm listening to for example you need to determine the wellspring Ephesians 5 10 11 finding out what is acceptable to the Lord 
and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And so before uh, being zealous for God, demonstrating the level of your hatred for unfruitful works of darkness, it is necessary to uh, identify the wellspring of the incoming and receive by us information. And for this, it is necessary to differentiate the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart, which we hear by the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, by his messengers from the voice of those people that have placed themselves or that have been chosen by men so that they deceive your ears. First John 4, 4, 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not deceive or do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we see that Adam and Eve, they followed the voice because they did not have this knowledge. Knowledge, it is demonstrated first you need to determine the wellspring from which you're receiving the Word of God. This is the very first thing. The very first thing, everything starts uh, with with the letter A. People try to run ahead and go looking at the next letters uh, in the alphabet. First, you need to start with A. You need to find uh, Zion, the chosen by God remnant. And there will be a person there that is a messenger of God who will preach the truth. There will be God's commandments that are explained and when we've determined that it, this is a person of God we then follow some denominations say that you they say you don't need to read the Bible you just need to trust everything that for example the Pope says or our pastor says you need to read the Bible you need to know the truth so you can determine the wellspring from which God speaks to you to determine the wellspring from which God speaks and you then here, the wellspring, you you then uh, use the word that you yourself had uh, read in the Bible. You look at the what you've already read, and you know you've prayed to God. Show me the church. Show me the person, the pastor that you uh, want to give me to, so I can learn. <clears throat> and then the Bible that I've read, I then use the material to receive the word uh, from the person that preaches and be able to understand it. And so the first is determining whether they are of God or not of God. Once you've determined they're of God, you don't need to analyze any further. You need to begin to hear what is being given and establish all of these things in your life. Implement the truth that you hear into your life. And once you've tested the wellspring, you then begin to obey that word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If in the first apostolic church many false prophets appeared, then imagine for yourself how many of those false prophets exist today. A false prophet is a, is a person who offers either demonic thoughts or his own personal intellectual emissions, presenting them as if the revelations of the Holy Spirit, or he mixes the things of man with the things of God. Zeal with knowledge in the abilities contained in the name Simon the Canaanite first tests and examines himself as to whether his heart is in the faith of is in the faith or not. And so to be instead and and so in addition to testing the spirits or testing the person 
or the whether a person is from God or not. I also need to test myself. Second uh, Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Therefore, true zeal for God is to love the righteousness of God and the judgments of God and to hate lawlessness, which violates and perverts the righteousness of God in the judgments of God. Psalm 45, 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. <clears throat> and so this is the first aspect. We see Simon the Canaanite. We see the zeal. We see this knowledge. And we need to determine the wellspring from which we receive information, if it's from God or not. And once determined, you then begin to examine yourself, knowing yourself, whether I am in Christ. How am I understanding the truth that is being given to me from God's vessel? And how, what is my relationship with the truth? And so, again, I test, I first find the person I determine, then I test myself as to how I am reacting to the truth can I keep it or lose it continuously examining yourself? And so the wellspring that I examine is for one time in my life, and after that I don't, I don't need to test anymore because I found the person that is of God. And then I continue on by examining myself and continually examining myself as to whether I um, oh, am following the word the way I should be. <clears throat> and test yourself at every service, if so. The second component of the abilities contained in the name of Simon, the Canaanite, written on the eleventh foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, is called to make us open to the preached word about Christ. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, 4. The ability to be open to the gospel of Christ is only possible having the state of a pure and undefiled conscience, which can dignify our zeal for, for God or make our zeal for God according to knowledge. It is written, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, for these things are yours and abound. You will, be either, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Second Peter 1, 5 through 9. The scriptures say that if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It is for a blind mind. And so uh, Peter says those who have forgotten about the cleansing of their old sins. This person is blind. First, we are called to show virtue in our faith. That is, our good heart or our good conscience, which by sprinkling is cleansed from dead works. And only after is our, con is our good conscience able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit to show then this knowledge. And this knowledge then will allow us to demonstrate zeal according to knowledge, or zeal that is clothed into the knowledge of Christ. And 
And so you need to show your good heart. That's the first virtue. You show your good good heart or good conscience. One is who is able to hear the words of God. And then in your virtue, you show knowledge. And so this is a zeal then that works in righteousness or in, in knowledge. Every person uh, who speaks in tongues needs to understand this as well because that's part of it. And so then in our good conscience that is capable to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, as we've said, can we demonstrate zeal according to knowledge or the zeal that is clothed into the knowledge of Christ? Dead works is any any look of virtue or good work that is done out of God or that pursue personal goals or the goals of God, but not by the means presented by God in his word, but using personal means or means that are developed by other people. Therefore, whatever success we might be using to achieve goals that are placed by us, we will remain closed to the true gospel of Christ. Because in our heart, there will be an absence of the union of a good heart and zeal according to knowledge in the name Simon the Canaanite. And so we need to show in our faith, virtue, a good heart, and the second is knowledge. This knowledge is already the ability to show your zeal to God or reasonably uh, be zealous, but in a reasonable way, in knowledge. Third component of the abilities contained in the name of Simon, the Canaanite, written on the 11th foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, is called to take part in searching for the knowledge of God in God himself. Second Chronicles 1, 11, 12, Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for riches, or wealth, or honor, or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like." Zeal for God that does not take part in searching for knowledge about God in God himself can't be called zeal according to knowledge. Zeal for God that does not take part in searching for knowledge in God himself. You remember about Israel, it was written they had a great zeal. They were very religious, but they did not have any zeal in knowledge. They did did not want to to find knowledge in God himself. It was easier to uh, kill someone that didn't follow the law than to follow or to look for this knowledge in God himself. In his heart, Solomon did not search for riches or wealth or honor or the life of his enemies and also did not search for long life. He searched for wisdom and knowledge in God so that he can demonstrate his zeal for God within the boundaries of his responsibility, which was to rule over the nation of God. There is a specific responsibility before God that lies upon each one of us within the boundaries of which we are called to demonstrate zeal for God. This responsibility is firstly we ourselves. We are called to rule over ourselves in accordance with those demands that are presented in Scripture and not the fabrications of individual people and individual religious groups. Therefore, when it comes to God placing responsibility upon us to rule over ourselves so that we can rule over ourselves according to the implemented by God law means make us kings over ourselves so that we can rule over the possession of God. 
to rule over ourselves, over our emotions, God needs to make us king over ourselves. Or in other words, bring everything into godly in a, go, in a godly order. So it's not emotions that go ahead of us, but uh, reasonable service be ahead of us. That would command the will, the will, the emotions. We begin to rule over ourselves. We need to have Solomon, the king, in our mind. Solomon was made king over his calling, and he had zeal for God. But he, at that time, at the beginning, did not have the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in his heart as his father David did. And he perfectly understood that if he will not be given the virtue contained in the abilities of the name Simon, the power contained in his name Zeal, can bring him to the same place then that they once brought Saul. Solomon perfectly understood this, that he had great zeal, but he did not have uh, the ability to hear the word of God. <clears throat> Samuel told uh, Saul, if you remember, uh, that God told you to do it this way, but Saul would say, well, I thought it would be better this way. And so it says, show in your in your faith virtue. Virtue means a good and clean heart, not your own personal opinions and thoughts, but a purified heart. Saul had a great zeal. He said, I will kill all the Gibeonites. Why are these Gentiles serving in our temple? We need to give all the positions to the Jews and destroy all the Gentiles out of the temple is what he, he decided to do. And God then punished Israel at the time of David. And David didn't know why. And uh God said this was because of this unrighteous zeal of Saul. This is why he searched for the knowledge of God in God himself, Solomon, worshiping God at the altar of the Lord, which at the time was in Gibeon. Solomon brought 1,000 burnt offerings upon this altar before God appeared to him and made him an offer to test both him as well as the object of his worship and his searching. And we also need to bring these 1,000 offerings, burnt offerings, so we can correctly hear the word of God. And so how do you, there's a number 10, and that has 100, and then there's 1,000. 10, Lord, I am a part of the fullness that is all in all. I completely, in all fullness, dedicate myself to you. 1,000, I demonstrate the fullness of humility before you. And when God saw that 10, 100, and then 1,000, he said there will not be anyone wiser than you because you have become an organic member with what is fullness that is all in all and have had a fullness of humility. And so Solomon demonstrated, I have Simon the Canaanite, I have the ability to hear the word of God and Canaanite to be able to demonstrate zeal for God. Fourth component of the abilities contained in the name Simon the Canaanite, written on the eleventh foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, is called to orient or direct our mind or the meditations of our heart to the things on high or things of heaven, where Christ sits at the right side of his side of God or right hand of God. Colossians three one through three. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And to seek the things on above is things not on earth. Set your mind on the things above, not things on the earth. For he 
for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We need to keep in mind that we need to have both zeal as well as the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our heart to seek the things of heaven or things on high. We ask the question, where do we search for the things above where Christ sits at the right hand of his Father? At first glance, the answer seems simple in heaven. However, leaving it there, we will be going in the opposite direction of the things above because this is only a third of the truth and there are two others, specifically Isaiah 57.15 For thus says the High and Lofty One who inhabits eternity. And so the One on High, the High and Lofty One, thus says, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the High and Holy Place with Him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I dwell in the high and then in the holy place and the humble spirit. According to the given place of scripture, God simultaneously lives in these three realms, the heavens, the sanctuary, which implies the body of Christ in the form of his church and our good conscience, that by sprinkling is is cleansed from dead works. And partaking to these three realms is to be demonstrated by partaking in the sanctuary, which is a church where the word of the gospel of, of the kingdom of heaven is preached in the form of the, of the elementary teaching of, Christ, of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. And so we need to determine, we need to understand that God lives in heaven, in the holy place, which is the temple, and in the, in the person. The throne of God is specifically in these churches, and furthermore, Christ who sits at the right hand of God is also in these specific churches, because according to the book of Revelations, these churches were, are, and will be until the end of the age, the churches where there will not be the throne of God, but the throne of Satan. However, within these churches, there will be people who are partakers of the church that do have the throne of God and the Lamb. Being a partaker of such churches identifies the state of your heart, or more specifically, the state of our conscience, which practically is called to be the throne of God and the Lamb within our essence. This is a humble and contrite spirit because formally you can be counted as a member of such a church where the truth of the kingdom of heaven is preached, but not have a living communion with this church. And so what have we seen here? You can live where the throne of Satan is and be a member of the church. You can be within a church, our church, and be a member of the church and not be communed with the church. You, if you can imagine, how, how does the Lord determine whether you have a pure heart, a heart that is cleansed from dead works, that is ready to receive the word of God? Maybe you're in a country or place where there are no local churches like this and you're having to attend a church where they're just shouting and screaming when they pray or other things but your eyes are directed to Jerusalem if you remember like in prophet Daniel they would turn toward Jerusalem and pray and people were in a place where the church wasn't, but they lived with the church. They meditated, received the word. And people who would be lo- 
sometimes can be local but and appear to be members but they have dead works or the Holy Spirit has revealed something to me or and there's a lot of different examples of these things uh, that means the heart is, not, heart is not clean that means you don't have Simon the Canaanite ha- having Simon the Canaanite that means you can puri- purify your heart from dead works and you can receive God's knowledge and demonstrate zeal for God we need to keep in mind that to break the vessel of our heart for the Lord and to humble your heart before God in the form of his messengers to whom he has entrusted the word of the kingdom of heaven is something we need to do ourselves. Only after fulfilling these conditions does God promise to revive our heart or give us the ability to find him in our heart, which will mean that only after fulfilling these conditions we will begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit within our heart by the preached word of his messengers who will teach us each morning. Isaiah 54, 5, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Isaiah 54, 5. And so some have an ear that is closed, but Isaiah says his ear is open. And he awakens his ear every morning. What does it mean every or each morning? Each morning is a symbol identifying the dimension of the resurrection of Christ, which indicates the fact that we will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our heart, but not every morning of a regular day, as it were, but the morning of the dimension of eternal life. And so we need to listen to the sermons of pastor in the dimension of a morning that is eternal life. There are certain disciples who were t- who were st- who disliked what they heard when he said, Jesus said that uh, those who will not drink my blood or eat my flesh, uh, they left. They didn't want to hear that. But the twelve remained and said, "You have the words of eternal life. Where will we go?" And so that word, they realized what the word that they were hearing was in the dimension of eternal life, within that realm of eternal life. Simon the Canaanite, the ability to hear the word of God, and Peter and the other apostles also had it in themselves. And the reason was because they didn't have dead works in their heart. The others did. Why did they uh, get, uh, why did they give Jesus such, uh, such disrespect so quickly? Uh, when they realized if they would have known or understood who he really was, why would they respond in such a manner to him and look at him so lowly? Again, they had the zeal. They did not have the ability to hear or to listen. It needs to be in the format of resurrection. A resurrection, that means a heart without dead works. And dead works, is this is my opinion. This is my the way I see it. This is what's been open to me. That is the moment when God will awaken the ear of our heart to listen to his word and this will occur when we will break and humble our heart before the preached word of his messengers. The result of such humility is seen in our primary text in the following words, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Considering these words, we conclude that our life will be hidden with Christ and God if we die for our nation, for our house and for our life. 
It is specifically this aspect that is called breaking and humbling our heart before God. Therefore, each one of us can examine himself and where he is in these three conditions. God will not just be saving people while they are inherents of their nation, the house of their father, and their personal interests. For such people, entry to the heights of the heavens will not be available. The reason is that they are not partakers of the sanctuary in the form of the body of Christ, which in essence is identified with the following words. Galatians 3.26-29 For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. People that are convinced that they can seek the things that are above and can inherit eternal life while still remaining adherents of their nation, the house of their father, and personal, and their personal world view of God are in error and do not know the scriptures. Psalm 50, 21 through 23. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you into pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. And so we need to humble ourselves, and we see that are us being bound to, obedient to, subject to our nation, the house of our Father, we, we will not be able to demonstrate the proper seal we need to through knowledge. And so you, you will hear things like, oh, well, I love my country more than God. Uh, I, I'm passionate for what my nation stands for, what it, it is on the, the, in appearance with other, or in comparison to other countries, and things like that. And people are inc- incredibly loyal to their countries. And these are part of the dead works. There, there are definitely, and there are extremes people go to sometimes for their nations. And in Ukraine, even today, you'll see pastors that have become bloggers because the things you could say on a blog, you can't speak on the stage. And there are pastors that... And so what has the church come to? It's a... And bloggers uh, was is not something pastors ever participated in. They, and, and doing this so that you can uh, look at your followers and how many how many you're getting. An interesting uh, fourth component, fifth component of the abilities contained in the name of Simon, the Canaanite, written on the 11th foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, is called to predispose our thoughts to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Understandably, without zeal, which is both a demonstrator of hatred and a demonstrator of love, to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all, your, with all of your mind is not possible. Without zeal, it's not possible to love God this way. 
equally without the ability to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit within your heart, it is not possible to correctly control your zeal and to correctly choose things and people you are to love as God loves them and others to hate just as God hates them. Pastor shows here in what way you can love God with all of your heart. You need to utilize God's zeal. This is a very strong love for God, but the strong love for God is demonstrated in a strong hatred for things that God hates. And we see Pastor says, you need to listen to the voice of God. You need to hear what first God loves and what first God hates before you hate and love. God loves those who stay faithful to his order and who do not cry out against him that is against his messengers. And God hates those who demonstrate resistance to his order and cry out against the placed by him authority. Here is what God says through prophet Jeremiah about people who were the lot of God and after cried out against him. <clears throat> Jeremiah twelve eight, My heritage, the Lord says, My heritage is to me like a lion in the forest. He cries out against me. Therefore, I have hated him. My heritage, my children, have cried out against me. And so you'll hear, so, well, we're not crying out against you, Lord. We're just speaking against your messengers. We love you and value, but we don't value your messengers. And so it, cri- it cried out against me, therefore I have hated it. Therefore, love for God in your mind is a predisposition in your mind to seek that what is acceptable to God. Due to this, to love God is to love those whom God loves and hate those whom God hates. And for this purpose, it is necessary to position or situate your heart to achieve knowledge of who needs to be loved and who needs to be hated. Because it is only in this way that we are able to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. It's necessary to predisposition your heart so that you can love as God loves and hate as God hates. Let's look at this and what it's linked to. Daniel 10, 7 through 12. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, Understanding, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you while he was speaking this word to me I stood trembling then he said to me do not fear Daniel for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God And 
And so Daniel continuously humbled himself before God. And when a person humbles himself before God, that means God has prepared a great a grace for this person. And so his heart was set to under, to understanding. And in the given situation, the zeal of Daniel was directed at achieving understanding and giving God the ability to humble his heart with those circumstances where God allowed him to become a captive of a Babylonian monarch whom he was required to serve with faith and righteousness. And so again, we need to achieve knowledge, and this is when we humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be humbled. We need to humble ourselves and allow ourselves, always allow ourselves that we, being as good and without mistake and polished, and Pastor Kadi will correct us in some way. And what may appear as you're polished and without any possibility to be corrected. You need to show that, Lord, I have a reasonable heart. I have a heart of knowledge. I am open that you humble me. And God will take that opportunity. We humble ourselves. Uh... And it's not just to show that everything's always good. But God will sometimes tell the messenger, correct this person or this person. And pastor corrects me quite often. And he is a father. And it's good that he corrects me. Because by this, we receive, we obtain a reasonable heart, a, a heart of knowledge. And we can then demonstrate zeal for God. Sixth component of the abilities contained in the name of Simon, the Canaanite, written on the eleventh foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, is called by the, by the means of knowledge to discipline yourself to be of one mind with one another according to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 5-7 Now may the God of patience and comfort Forgive me, sometimes I want to want to cough. And I apologize that sometimes my voice can uh, change at times when I'm needing to cough. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The goal of like-mindedness according to the teaching of Jesus Christ is that it gives us the ability to be of one mind and one mouth, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of like-mindedness is so that we, with one mind and one mouth, can glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, being of like-mindedness, having this like mind allows for us to have this one mind together and then one mouth you can be singing the same words and the same melody and yet not have like mindedness according to the teaching of Jesus Christ and furthermore such worship will have an absence of the of one-mindedness an absence of one-mindedness in worship is an absence of the legitimate platform or that place upon which you are supposed to worship. A church that does not have one-mindedness is not able to and does not have the right to be called a church of saints. This, according to scripture, is more likely a synagogue of Satan. 
we ask the question, how can we achieve such one-mindedness according to the teaching of Christ to receive the ability to be called a church of saints? The, ch- the answer is simple. Have your understanding about the teaching of the kingdom of heaven, which is demonstrated in the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ, come from one specific person who is placed as a leader over the church. Revelations 1.3 Blessed is he who reads as one who reads and those who hear in plural form. Hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. The word perhaps or maybe is one of the strongest words which acts and reveals the haters of God who are convinced that they have their own personal mind or their own personal head and their own they read their own Bibles and in addition have the right to inspect and correct the person who is placed by God to whom God has given the ability to read or to see and understand the words of Scripture. Every church that has the throne of God and the Lamb have such a person. And so having this person, we will be able to have this like-mindedness will then result in like uh, being of one mind and one mouth together in worship. After the Lord had taken our mind under His control, we could say we then become of of one mind. And so how do you bring order into your essence? Our spirit needs to renew our mind. We need to have like-mindedness with our spirit, and then our mind begins with one mouth glorify God. This order exists in us and in the church. By itself, this concept, although not digestible for our sovereign eye, is also not new. It existed and embodied the order of God in the worship of the Old Testament when Moses cried out to the Lord. And so Moses, he cried, and there were millions of people that came with him into the wilderness. And they began to cry out, saying, we want to eat and drink. And by the end of the week, we'll all perish, is what they were saying. First from thirst, and then from hunger, he was in shock. And he saw the wilderness before him, and heat, and he said, Lord, what shall we do? He leads them out, and then he was silent, God, and saw and was watching to see what they will do. And so they, they, they told him, you need to go to talk to God, because we need food, we need water. And... Uh, God said, uh, take 70 of the elders and place them before me. And he then gave of Moses' spirit to the 70 of the elders. He didn't just say, okay, I will help you. He said, I will help you uh, by getting more of the brothers together and the 70. And he shared of the same spirit so that they can help uh, with the nation. 
And so how we achieve like-mindedness when we, when God takes of one spirit, one person, and gives to the other, and all become of one mind then and of one uh, mouth. And seventh component of the ability is contained in the name of Simon, the Canaanite, written on the eleventh foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem, is called by the means of knowledge to make reasonable and voluntary decisions in accordance with the will of God that is demonstrated in the revelation of our calling. Luke 22:42, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. According to the given prayer, we conclude that to make reasonable and voluntary decisions according to the will of God demonstrated in the revelations of our calling means to reject your will for the benefit of the will of God. Many Christians remain in absolute oblivion to what God has called them to. Part of these people, due to their own carnal thoughts, have made their own conclusions as to what their calling is, and a part who received a revelation about their calling but have not uh, done the work or refused to do the work. And another part who receives the revelations for their calling, but did not just reject the means, but also time in which they were supposed to fulfill it. According to this truth, some of these people had zeal for God, but did not have the ability to hear or listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in their heart by the preached word of his messengers. And for some had zeal for God, <clears throat> and had the ability to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in their heart, but they rejected this voice for the benefit of the voice of their flesh that uh, was supported by Satan. And some had a zeal for God and the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in their heart, but were not taught how to unite all of these virtues together in themselves and have them work as one command or one team. And so we need to understand one thing, that our calling in Jesus Christ is inseparable from the calling that Jesus himself had. And so this is the calling that the Lord Jesus Christ had. The calling of Jesus was to demonstrate the light of life coming from his heavenly Father. John 1, 9 through 13. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. <clears throat> Leaving this world, Jesus speaking to his disciples, who received him, said, you are the light of the world. And so this true light, we see, we become this light. Matthew five fourteen sixteen, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so... Our calling will consist of us demonstrate, demonstrating this light of life, which we received in Jesus Christ. And to demonstrate this light of life, demonstrated in the word of truth about the kingdom of heaven, which we have received into our heart, and that we are born from, 
it is necessary for us to fulfill one main condition which Jesus himself did, and that's to reject your own personal life for the benefit of receiving the life of resurrection. And this means to drink the cup which has the will of God for us so that we can demonstrate his light. Until we have not lost lost our life, we will not be able to fulfill our purpose, and that is to be his light. And so the calling to be his light. And so right now we are going to pray, and I ask every holy person whose heart is burning to come to this place who want to be his light. To be his light begins with repentance in your sins. The ability to seek the Lord and acknowledge there's nothing that can justify me. Apostle Paul was without sin, but he said that according to the law, I am without sin. When the law of Moses was before him, before you is someone righteous, and according to the law, I, Saul, is w- I'm without sin, but to receive righteousness in Jesus Christ, I considered the righteousness by the law as nothing. We see that you can not commit sin, but not have righteousness. You cannot sin and never be righteous. If you are righteous and you have something that you rely upon and trust upon, that this quality in me, I've never allowed myself to sin like this person or this person, and this makes me better. It can't be that God will send me to hell, but this one he probably will for his deeds. We can never have this kind of quality in ourselves that we would in some way uh, make excuses that God will save me just because of this in me. God came to save the sinner and I am the first. But until this time, Apostle Paul was saying I was I was without sin I, according to the law. I had enough things that I thought that the Yahweh, the Holy One, will definitely save me. And when he saw Christ, He understood that everything he had is nothing. All of my achievements, accomplishments, my zeal, that was without knowledge, was nothing. And so we will invite not just saints who have sinned and want to repent, but those who say want to say that, Lord, I thought that for this quality in my life, you absolutely need to save me. I've trusted in this and relied upon it. For the sake of Christ, I consider all of it as nothing, so I could be found in Jesus Christ. I'm righteous not because I'm so good, not because I never drank or smoked or spoke bad words, but because you are holy. Forgive me that I relied upon these achievements of my own, and I repent in the name of Jesus Christ. May I be found with his righteousness. I'm righteous because he is righteous. We wait for you here at the altar.
I will be praying your prayer. And I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He's not against you. He has loved you with an eternal love. He has given you the work of his redemption. He has stood between us and our enemies to defend us and to lift us up to his level. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is your readiness to receive from God everything without doubt or wrath. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you and upon this holy place in the church of your holy nation, I open my heart so that you may see my pain, my suffering, my wounds inflicted by sin and lust, which I hate and that I reject. I come to you with my dependence, with sin that I'm bound with, illnesses, fears, dishonor, a pampered dignity. I ask you, forgive me, protect me with the blood of your Son, restore, heal my wounds, and right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessing of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you. And may with noise the old man be thrusted out of your body, and in its place may the stronghold of life be erected. May all this be upon you and upon your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. And now, let us finish with our manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.